Broadcasting from within the borders of the greatest success story the world has ever known, the United States of America. It's time for an honest discussion from a fresh, new conservative voice. The C.L. Bryant Show. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody, throughout the fruited plains of the greatest nation on the face of the planet, the greatest success story the world has ever known, and that is America. I am C.L. Bryant, and this is the C.L. Bryant Show, and I want to thank you for coming along with us as we build the Bridge to Conversation right here throughout the fruited plains of our nation. Hey, the hoax continues on Capitol Hill, and I guess by now you are understanding just what a hoax it truly is. Am I right about it? Hey, you need to tell somebody, yeah, you need to tell somebody uh, just what you have found as far as that hoax is concerned. When we left in the last hour, and hey, folks, uh, I think I've told you now uh, on several occasions after every um, stop that we make or segment that we we have here on the show here today and uh, the next uh, few days that I'll be talking to you before um, Christmas Day arrives. Um, and of course, New Year's 2020. 2020 is right around the corner before it arrives. And oh, what a year it's going to be. Uh, for me and my wife, Jane, we're headed up to Colorado to start the next chapter. We're turning the page. Uh, here we go on the road again. And uh, we're going to turn the page, and we're going to do it in Colorado. And we're really looking forward to our new experience up there in Colorado. We're hoping to enjoy the the fruited plains and the natural beauty of uh, that great state. And we're going to do whatever we can to make sure a purple state, um, and it's leaning blue for sure, a purple state uh, can, in fact, become Republican again red again. I think it can happen. And we're going to do our part to do that, expanding our footprint on radio uh, and in other ways as well. And of course, you'll be coming along with us as we do that. And uh, I look forward to uh, visiting with you from the Rocky Mountain State. And I want to say to all of my uh, faithful listeners and uh, friends that I have had in the years that we have spent back in my home state. We moved back to my home state from Tampa, Tampa, Florida, where I was there in Tampa for years and years. Had a television program in Tampa and um, focused on reality. We won uh, awards there as far as our show was concerned. And, of course, I had a pastoral ministry in Tampa, Florida, well, outside of Tampa. And I want to um, 
say to all of you faithful listeners, even those of you who are in Texas and Dallas and those who have uh, been friends of ours, we're going way back to when we were in California, uh, that we're going to be centrally, and all, all of my good friends in D.C., we're going to be centrally, centrally located right in the heart of America there in Colorado. And uh, I think it's just going to be a good thing for, for everyone, everybody. It's going to just be a great thing for everybody. Freedom Works. Uh, and, hey, listen, if you want to become a part of a movement, you had better go to freedomworks.org, freedomworks.org, and become a part of a movement that is indeed educating, building bridges uh, to education, and, of course, making certain that all of us understand what it is to be free under the rule of law that we have here in our great republic, America. Now, when I, I, I left you, I was talking about um, how evangelicals are all in, mostly all in for Trump, even though sometimes he throws around a few um, tough words for evangelicals on the campaign trail. He'll say um, things that, yeah, well, you wouldn't say in church, although I think Trump just might. <laughs> Say, say some things in church that, um, you know, well, I wouldn't say in church. I'm not saying I wouldn't say them, but I'm saying I wouldn't say them in church or around, uh, quote unquote, churchy company. Am I a hypocrite? No, I'm just being real with you. I am not never going to tell you that I don't have a strong language at times because I do. But it's not a habit. It's not anything habitual. After all, um, you know, I have to cite the Apostle Peter, who had walked with Jesus for over three and a half years. Yet when he was vexed by this woman who said, you're one of them. The scripture records that Peter probably had a fit of cursing her out up and down and going on about his business later to repent of all of that. As when I find myself having transgressed, I thank God for the ability and the throne of grace where I can cast my care for my soul upon it and there find forgiveness for my sins. So being evangelical and understanding the types of people who become Christians, I understand that God gives us leaders who are after his own heart. And from what I have seen is that this president has been a friend to Christians not ashamed to say it, not ashamed to support it. And so Christians are supporting him, except those who are of the self-righteous ilk and believe that somehow they're better than you and me. And of course, surely they're better than the present because they are self-righteous. I pointed out to you when we left that uh, if you don't like Trump, because of his 
uh, straightforward uh, type of demeanor, then you probably would never have liked um, Solomon, biblical Solomon, or David, biblical David. You most likely would never have liked the Apostle Paul. No, you would not have liked the prophet Isaiah. Or you would not have liked Hosea, who in fact um, was um, himself enthralled and led to be enthralled with someone of whoredom, Gomer. You wouldn't have liked them. You wouldn't have liked Peter. You would not have liked Matthew, the tax collector. No, you would not have liked him at all. The sons of thunder, James and John, who was in that inner circle with Peter, you know, Peter, James and John. Uh, you would have liked the sons of thunder. It seems as though they always kept up a ruckus. Jesus called them the sons of thunder because they were loud with it. So if you don't like Donald Trump as a Christian, I doubt seriously you would like any of the people in Scripture who had had and has had a Damascus Road experience. You wouldn't like me either. Not at all. No, you wouldn't. You just wouldn't like me. Because I've certainly had one. And if you are calling yourself a Christian, obviously you've had one too. And so I agree with Jerry Falwell and I agree with evangelicals who say that uh, born again Christians, evangelicals uh, and people of faith who may not even call it born again. They just may call it um, in knowing Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ. You're you. Uh, that's who you are. And I don't care what denomination you happen to be. You can be anywhere from uh, Latter Day Saint to whoever you are to, um, you know, wrapping yourself up in sheets. I don't know about you snake handlers. There's something kind of strange about that. But but anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> snake handlers for Jesus. Yes. I don't know about you guys, but uh, it's a little bit strange. But, uh, hey, if you're not against us, if you're not against us, maybe you're for us. But whoever you are, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, you must be with us. Let your light shine like that then. Because I certainly know that um, there are others who might be on their high horses that don't get it. And the ways of God are so far and high above our ways that who could who can possibly know it. You just have to trust it. It's a faith proposition. And I have faith in America. I have faith in this nation that has been founded upon Judeo-Christian principles. I have faith to be believe that um, this is a nation that is absolutely exceptional, not because of the people, but because of the faith values that we had been have been founded upon now I, i'm i'm going to sort of deviate here for uh, uh, just a few minutes because i want to talk about something that is happening in our schools that um we might be traumatizing 
our children. And you parents, um, and me being a grandfather occasionally, and all that's going to come to an end here pretty soon because um, we're moving sort of out of reach, except for maybe summertime. We'll send for a couple of the grandkids uh, at a time. Can't take them all at one time. Or um, I'll be jumping off of a Rocky Mountain cliff. (laughs) Um, But we'll take a few at a time, our grandkids. We have 11 of them. Or is it 12? But anyway, we've got a bunch of them. And we'll be bringing them up to Colorado uh, in the summer and on some of their breaks, you know. But uh, we, we're not engaged in their school activities like we were with our own children, of course. But oddly to say, in, in one or two of our grandkids' lives, we're engaged more of their school activity than their parents are because they work so much. But all that's about to stop. But something is happening in our schools that is, in many ways, it's a, it's a trend toward frequent, realistic, first-person shooter drills in schools. Um, and, and it's creating a, a, a traumatization a traumatized generation, it is saying, beset with anxiety issues. And this is what child welfare reform advocates are saying. Now, um, can you trust what they're saying um, on this? I, I don't know, but I can, I can see the point of this. Many of us may not realize that uh, kids in, in school today do go through these types of drills. They go home. They don't necessarily talk to you about it. That's why you should talk to your children and to find out what's going on in school and what they're being told, what they're being taught in school. And this is one of those things that's being taught and told. It says that over 90 percent, 96 percent. 96%, over 96% of U.S. schools now conduct lockdown drills, according to the Educational Education Department's National Center for Education Statistics. Uh, yet little study has been devoted to the effect of the repeated drills on children. Yeah. And folks, that is something we really must take into account is how this does affect our children. It does. Is it anything to be concerned about? I remember back in my day, you know, we had the civil defense drills, you know, where you hit under your desk or whatever, if in case of a a nuclear attack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was um oh that would that would save you. Yeah, or or you march out into the hall and line up against the the wall. You know, yeah, in case of a nuclear attack, that that would that would save you. Or at least uh, that was the drill. Now, I don't really know what consists of and what goes on. In these drills, uh, these drills where the children are uh, in real time uh, trying to uh, emulate a 
first person realistic first person shooter drill i don't know what goes on there. i don't know if somebody comes in pretending they're a shooter but whatever happens there it, it seems that some statistics are beginning to come in and you need to ask your children about it because it is saying that in 96 percent of american schools this is happening and i don't know if he's talking about the public schools or all schools in particular that this is happening but evidently it is of some concern that it is traumatizing children. Yeah, it's traumatizing them. Now, I um, saw this skit. Um, Dave Chappelle did this thing, skits to Sticks and Stones. And Chappelle said that, um, and I, you know, it was, it was funny, but I agree with it. Kind of. Chappelle said that, isn't it kind of self-defeating to have these drills of shooters coming into the schools when um, you also telegraphing and teaching the would-be shooter who is probably in the school what the drill is all about and what the procedures are. Uh, You mean we're supposed to meet over by... The cafeteria? <laughs> it, well, if the shooter's there, uh, well, he knows that that's where you're going to go. So is it really self-defeating? The purpose to do these first-person terrorist shooter drills in schools where the shooters are the students and the student who may be thinking about doing the shooting is in on the drill. Huh? Well, Chappelle may have a point. I think that in our political correctness and also the developing hatred that the progressive uh, liberals and the evil, um, communist and socialist Marxist Democrats have against guns. I think that the best remedy for any of this is to just have more law enforcement officers on campus to develop relationships with children at the school so that you have that type of community Uh, and police relationship being spawned. And I know that's going to be hard to do because we're so busy now vilifying the police. So you're vilifying the police and you're doing these realistic shooter drills in school, educating the student who is in school, most likely to do the shooting on how and where Everybody's going to meet up if a would-be terrorist or a shooter comes to the school. He knows that you're going to meet over by the cafeteria. Increase police presence and let the police know. Let them have a plan to protect your child as they surely will.
Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. C.L. back with you on this great day in the USA. Glad to be here with you wherever you may be throughout the fruited plains of our great nation. Jane and I are on our way uh, up to Colorado, and we're looking forward to being with our friends up there and turning the page, starting a new chapter in our lives. And, uh, of course, uh, wanting to do everything that we possibly can to um, turn a leaning blue state red again. Yeah. And hey, uh, we're not trying to turn Denver or Boulder. You know, we understand that maybe they are lost causes. I don't know. But we're not trying to turn them um, red again. We just want um, everybody to know that there's hope for a state that was once solidly a red state. Uh, The fireworks that have been going on this week up in uh, Washington, D.C., and now it's Jerry the Wandering Brow Nadler's turn to to show how silly he can be. And he's doing a very good job. Um, It's his turn to show his behind. And he's doing it. Along with the help of uh, some college professors that he has brought and trotted out. And now, in the recap, if you haven't had a chance, and I haven't had a chance really to tune in, I just saw bits and pieces of some of the professors' uh, testimonies that were there and some of the people that were testifying there. None of them really uh, great friends or voters for Trump, surely not. But, you know, it made me think about this. It made me think about how um, uh, I guess vehement and enthusiastic the professor's uh, hatred and dislike for Trump is especially the other day, the the female um, professor who testified. Her um, dislike for the president was absolutely palatable. You could tell that she could not stand him. (laughs) She she just couldn't. She couldn't. She just can't stand. Him, But it also made me think about how she pos- probably cannot be in any way, shape, form uh, 
um, non-biased when it comes to fair and balanced teaching in her classroom. And I, I can just imagine that this professor, if uh, a student of hers would dare uh, appear to be a Trump supporter in her classroom, you, you, might, as, you might as well get prepared to fail her class. And that would be totally arbitrary because you can produce the greatest paper on whatever her subject matter may be. It could be produced in a way that is absolutely stellar. But she would fail you anyway. Arbitrarily. Just because that's where this is gone. And that's where the lines have been drawn as to who is and who is not acceptable to go forward among us from academia, from the academic world. It's very much um, like Doug Collins, Representative Doug Collins from um, Georgia was saying that this impeachment hearing is a railroad job. And, and and friends, it is. Let's just be honest. This is a simple railroad job. And we, we often rail against. We go and watch movies, march in the streets. When we uh, find out that someone has been railroaded. We made movies about it. Dead man walking. Um, we are seeing uh, even today people being released from jail who were there uh, under false accusations and being released. We, we go to bat for them. We have this righteous sense of injustice. We call it being railroaded. Yet, somehow, we have not called a halt to this railroad job that's going on against an American citizen in plain broad daylight. Donald John Trump is being railroaded. Listen, to an extent where you would expect the ACLU to step in. And say, whoa, due process, dude. <laughs> you, you would expect the ACLU to step up, step in, and declare 
that, hey, the president, who is a citizen of the United States, is being denied due process. And one of the largest aspects of due process is the ability, Americans, to be able to face your accusers. You know, when I think about the story of of Jesus uh, being mocked, they blindfolded him and they would they were slapping him around. And they would ask the question, who struck you? Now, certainly I'm not equating uh, Donald John Trump in any way, shape or form to our Lord and Savior. Donald John Trump was a reprieve from judgment, in my opinion. Uh, Hillary Clinton was the coup d'etat of America. And Donald John Trump is not necessarily the savior of America, but he certainly was God's way of giving us a reprieve from what could have happened. And so when I think about uh, that that, uh, passage of Scripture where Jesus was blindfolded, and slapped around and asked by those who was accusing him of, you know, being a, a subversive, a king who's come to set his throne above Caesar. Um, who struck you? Uh, here, they, they, they put the blindfold on and then they slap him around and then ask the question, you're a prophet. Tell us who struck you. Well, when we look at this whistleblower thing, and again, I'm not equating Trump uh, to Christ in any no no way, shape, or form. I'm talking about the injustice of it is mammoth. The injustice of it is absolutely mammoth. And this whistleblower evidently has um, thrown rocks and now is hiding his or her hand. That, my friends, is un-American. And you need to keep this in mind. It was the Democrats who, in fact, spearheaded, uh, bought this car to drive, and put various ones of their constituents behind, not constituents, but colleagues behind the wheel at various times to drive this car of injustice. It's been the Democrats. Don't you forget that. All of you who have had relatives, friends, you've known of someone, or you've definitely cheered for the story of those who had been released from prison, who had been there under false pretense. Don't you forget that it was Democrats who, in fact, have denied a United States citizen their constitutional right to due process. And just because his name happens to be Trump, 
does not in any way deny this American citizen due process just because he happens to be very wealthy. It doesn't deny him the right to due process. And as I stated just a minute ago, I this is so blatant. The way that they are coming after this man, this is so blatant, the way he is being treated, that you would expect the ACLU to be coming out of the woodwork everywhere, popping up everywhere, saying, hey, whoa, wait a minute. This ain't right. This ain't Right. It's as simple as Doug Collins from Georgia said. It's a simple railroad job that's going on. It's like Newt said, the founding fathers, even though they have been invoked so many times uh, during uh, this process. Newt is right. The founding fathers would reject this impeachment push. Why? Because. The president hasn't done anything worthy of what we're spending money on and wasting time on. So even Mitt Romney, even Mitt Romney is saying this. uh, There's no evidence of that. Now, switching gears just a little bit. And we'll probably talk about this for just a while because there are so many people who have come off of assistance with food stamps that this is very appropriate and it is um, relevant to the 2020 election because uh, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP, is what it's called is um, being moved against to end food stamps for about 750,000 recipients. There's going to be a, this is one of the sacred cows of the Democrat Party. This is a way for progressive liberals, the Socialist Party, the Democrat Party, the Communist Party, the uh, uh, party of the (laughs) people who want to be your masters. It is a way for them to continue uh, holding you, a certain group of people, poor, black and white, hostage. And I know that when we uh, say food stamps, I, I know, I know that the face that pops into your mind is usually a face of color. But the fact of the matter is there are far more white people on food stamps than there are black people or people of color. Why? Because there are far more white people in this country than there are people of color. Only about, uh, even though black people make up 12% of the population, in this country, only about um, 
uh, 5% to 10% of that population actually make up the type of faces that you conjure up. Most black people in this country do very well. They vote crazy, but most black people in America do very well. In fact, 75% of them do very well. They're, they're employed. They live a decent life. They are not in jail. They do very well. It's the, it's just a quarter of that population that does in fact wreak havoc in many areas. But the truth of the matter is there are many more white people on food stamps in America than there are black people because whites still have the numbers as far as population is concerned. So naturally there would be more on these types of programs and there would be people who are black. However, that is the, the, the face that you see, the face that, that comes to mind, that's conjured when you, that comes to mind when you think about the food stamp program, right? Sure. So the Trump administration will announce a plan Wednesday, or it did announce a plan Wednesday, to end food stamps benefits for about 750,000 Americans issuing a new waiver, issuing new regulations uh, from a requirement that beneficiaries work or participate in a vocational training program according to people familiar with what's going on there in D.C. Now, we as conservatives, we've long sought cuts in the federal food assistance program for for poor people. Uh, House Republicans tried to impose similar restrictions last year when Congress renewed the program, but were rebuffed in the Senate. The work requirement only applies to abled-bodied recipients who aren't caring for for a child under six years of age. Are you hearing me? It refers to, it it applies to abled-bodied recipients who are not caring for a child under six years of age. I want you to to embrace that because the way the media lies about everything, this will turn into a blanket conversation about food stamps being revoked for everybody who's on them. And it'll scare older people on them as well. Don't be alarmed. I'm going to talk about this when I return and why and how the Democrats have been able to manipulate and use these types of um, things against Republicans for years. Fake news. That's all it is. I'll be right back. You thought I was worth saving. So you came and changed my life. You thought I was worth So you clean me up inside. You thought I was to die for. So you sacrifice. 
Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot, on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. Stand up for America. Then Americans, stand up, stand up, stand up. God bless you. God bless America. CL home stretch of the CL Bryant show this day. It has been a fabulous week. Glad that all of you could come along with us as we build the bridge to conversation right here on the CL Bryant show daily. 12.05 in the east until 2 p.m. every day. And, of course, we're headed toward the holiday season. The show, of course, will be on every day. And if you miss both hours of the show, be certain to download free the C.L. Bryant Show app onto your favorite device. And every one of the shows are archived there uh, live and um, in living color. Yeah, it is. If you're able-bodied and you are not taking care of a child that is over, that is under six years of age and um, you're able to work 20 hours a week, you're going to have to work for your supper. And uh, using and exercising a biblical principle, if you don't work and you're able-bodied and not taking care of a child under six years of age, you should not eat. I think that's fair. Now, what has happened, what has and what is occurring in our nation right now is the bleeding heart liberal saying to Christian folks in particular, and so many Christians are buying into this, that Jesus was compassionate. That's the Pete Buttigieg Buttigieg, um, uh, approach to this, but I hope it's not yours. That Jesus was compassionate, and and, uh, we all should be compassionate when it comes to the poor. I agree with that. But if you are able-bodied and you're able to do something to feed you and your family, you should do it. Uh, Hey, one of the reasons why I never missed a meal when I uh, was down at my granddad and grandma's house in the summertime, that's where my parents would send me. My mom and dad always sent me to the country when I was uh, out of school. Uh, they believed that chickens, cows, goats, pigs, growing corn, digging in the dirt, setting fence posts, raised good kids. <laughs> that's what they believed. I believe it, too. 
In fact, I've witnessed it with my own eyes. My, our older girls uh, who were raised in the city are a whole lot different than our kids who were raised in the country. They're a whole lot different. Yeah. And um, if the reason I didn't miss any meals is because my grandfather, Charlie Hanson, my granddaddy, was uh, a stickler for working for your supper, working for your breakfast, working for the lunch that grandma would fix. Oh, you could eat all you want. Yeah, eat all you want. Take all you want to eat, but eat all you take. Huh? Yeah, grandma would fix up spreads. We'd work hard. Summertime in Louisiana, hot and humid. Grandpa would be up for the crack of dawn. And he expected me to be up with him because we was fixing to go do some work. Sometimes that work would consist of cutting pupwood trees and milking cows and uh, birthing calves and certainly tending to our crops. Yeah. And sometimes Grandpa, he was known as the saw man. He'd go out and cut timbers so that the railroad could have cross ties. Yeah. He was legendary as a saw man. I have a little bit of that skill myself. But you had to work. And if you didn't work, Grandpa didn't think you ought to eat. Tell me why you ought to. I actually heard uh, my grandfather say to one of my cousins who was there with us. Tell me why I ought to feed you at all today. Because you're my grandson. What good is a worthless grandson who won't contribute to the family by working? But yet you want to eat what grandma has cooked. Oh, it made you feel so bad. If he, uh, I felt bad for my cousin. <laughs> Never had said to me. I, in fact, I always like work. I always like doing something with my hands. And, you know, I know you sleep good at night when you work for your food. You're satisfied. You did something with your hands. You sweated. And back, back in the, the day before grandpa and grandma had the inside bathrooms, they had this old porch that uh, had this big old tub that uh, you heat some water. And, and no, it wasn't electric or gas. <laughs> you heat it. No, you sometimes heat that water on a, over a fire and pour it in that tub there. You take a bath. Yeah. And so um, you had to work to eat. I believe that still should be the way things ought to go. If you ask me, that's the way things ought to go. And what the president is doing, what this administration is doing, is it's cutting back on feeding people who are able-bodied, not raising small children who are not working, yet they are getting food stamps. And one of the rubs against Republicans has been is that we lack compassion. 
I disagree. I think this is perhaps the most compassionate thing that can possibly occur when it comes to um, raising a family. And that is teaching the heads of these families how to work. That's compassion. That's compassionate. That is right. So, to all of you who believe that 20 hours a week is too much to ask a poor person to work, I don't know if you've ever been poor in the country and you had to grow your own food because you didn't have no money. You had some land, a little land, a little patch of ground to scratch in and raise some food to feed your family and the chickens and the cows so you could eat. You didn't have no money, but you had some ground, a little ground to to raise some food on. And hey, believe me, you worked a lot longer than 20 hours a day if you were poor and in the country. I don't know how many times I heard my grandfather say to me in the summertime, boy, if it don't rain, we ain't going to eat. I don't know if uh, you understand what it takes to have the faith in God that he will send the rain and the sunshine in order for your family to eat. It's just amazing the life lessons that you learn from old people like that who knew that their sustenance came from the creator. Yeah, their sustenance, their daily bread came from the strength in their hands given to them by their creator. Something that we're losing, but we can get it back. And actually this move that the president is making is certainly a part of that. It's a part of getting it back. Yeah. The Brookings Institute uh, study published in uh, 2018 found that more stringent work requirements are likely to hurt people who are already working, but whose employment is sporadic. Recipients must work an average of 20 hours a week each month to meet the requirements. And when it initially was proposed, the regulation in February, the administration forecast the stricter work requirements would end benefits for more than 750,000 people in the first year. At the time, the Department of Agriculture estimated that the step would save $1.1 billion in the first year and $7.9 billion over five years. The final regulation has about the same impact. Um, now, friends, this is, in my estimation, the ultimate act of compassion is to teach people how to work in a land of plenty, especially if they're capable of working. 
do not get this twisted because the Democrats are certainly going to try and twist it for you. They're going to be telling you how uh, uh, bad and uncompassionate, uncompassionate this is to withdraw food stamp from the poor. That's all you're going to hear. You're never going to hear the impact uh, statement of this is to affect those who are abled bodied and are not raising children who are under six years of age. And the ultimate requirement is that people would be required to work 20 hours a week. And having been a country boy who spent his summers in the country with my grandfather who worked, as the old folks would say, from can to can't, from sunlight until dark. I did not like daylight saving times at the time. <laughs> because Grandpa worked all day long. Sleep good, though. You sleep real good. But we work a lot longer than 20 hours. But you slept good. And the beauty about Grandpa, Grandpa respected uh, even though um, sometimes on Saturday we had to do some things. But Grandpa still considered this the Saturday the Sabbath day, and it is. Uh, Sunday's uh, the first day of the week. But Saturday, Grandpa figured it to be the Sabbath. He worked hard, I mean real hard, five days a week. And, of course, he went to church on Sunday. But Grandpa thought it was good to relax on Saturday, except when you needed to work. (laughs) That was his way. And I'm glad that I had a chance to learn from it. Well, Americans, I thank God for bringing us to the close of yet another day. And I thank him for our men and women in uniform around the globe who defend our right to speak our minds. And until I'm able to talk to you again, I'm CL. And my heartfelt desire is that God will bless and keep you all.